0: all right well again happy mother's day to everyone let's open our bibles this morning to proverbs 31 you're like i knew he was going to do proverbs 31 if you know what proverbs 31 is but actually you're going to throw in a little wrinkle we're actually going to look at verses one through nine usually if you think of proverbs 31 you think of verses 10 and beyond but there's nine verses before that that are very interesting and i Thank my wife for that when we were on vacation. She asked, if, hey, have you ever read Proverbs 31, verses 1 through 9? I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course I've read it. <laughs> it's like one of those uh, scriptures that you read, you just don't remember. And so anyways, I read and I go, that would be a good Mother's Day topic. Although John's prayer at the beginning about Jesus honoring his mother would be like, that's going to be next year's message. That's mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, well, every, every year on Mother's Day, I like to study a woman from the scriptures and see what we can learn from her example or her actions or her words of wisdom. And so today is no different as we look at this text. But before we start again, let's, let's pray. Lord God, we come to your word this morning, and each and every one of us comes here for a different reason. And Lord God, we know in your sovereignty that you orchestrated everyone's attendance this morning. And we pray that as we come to your word and read it and expound upon it, that you would speak to every heart this morning. Not only just the mothers or the children, but Lord God, everyone else who may not be a mother, but may have influence over somebody. For your scripture is complete. Your scripture is able to instruct us unto godliness, and we pray that we would see that this morning as we look at the wisdom of a mother. And we pray this in your name, amen. All right, so again, as I said this morning, we're going to look at this section of scripture where a mother is, her words are actually being recalled by a son. And you may think sometimes as a parent, are my kids listening to me? Do they really hear what I'm saying? They're staring at me and they're nodding, right? But what are they thinking in their heads? And do they really get what I'm saying to them? Well, this morning we're going to see that, you know what, and this should be an encouragement to all of us, they do listen and they hear what we're saying. And we're going to see that, as I said this morning, in the king, who is now reflecting on what his mother told him at one time in the past, And although his situation in life is a lot different than most of ours because I'm not aware of anybody here this morning who's a king of a nation, the message behind the words is what's important. And the wisdom should sound familiar to each and every one of us who is a parent or who has a child of somebody or has been in the past. And again, I don't want you to, to tune it out just because you're not a mom or a child or you don't have children at the moment. We can all learn something from this text, some basic wisdom given by the king. So, just by way of introduction, the mom here, as her words are being recounted by her son, wants her son not to waste his life on self-destructive behavior. How many of us can remember our mom is telling us not to do something because it's going to hurt us We might not remember it, or we might disagree with it, but our moms are wise beyond their years, whether you think so or not. Usually as you get older, you realize how wise your parents were. Like, oh, they did tell me that. They did know what they were talking about. So here in the text, as we look at it, here's a mother who's encouraging her son to stay away from destructive behavior. Instead, she wants him to use his talents. Now remember, he's a king, And his gifts and his position, not just for himself, but for the benefit of other people in his life. Because for one, he's a king. He has subjects that report to him, that look for him to take care of them and to provide for them. So the mom is saying to her son, the king, you need to focus on other people and not just yourself. So what is this that the king remembers and by way of extension, we can learn from ourselves as he recounts his mother's wisdom. So let's start in verse 1 of Proverbs 31. It says, The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. So again, so he's reciting to us or to anybody who reads this wisdom that his mom gave him. And more than likely, it was probably when he was a lot younger. And look at what she said. She says... What, O my son, and what, O son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows, do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. Is it not for kings, O Lemuel, is it not for kings to drink wine, or it is not for kings, I'm sorry, so it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink for they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. So now let's go back, as I mentioned in verse 1. The son is remembering the wisdom that was given to him from his mother. So let this be a reminder, as I mentioned at the beginning, that those who we have influence over, our children in particular, they hear what we say. And that should be encouraging to us, because I remember just as John prayed how hard it is to be a mother, sometimes you're speaking to your children And you may not think they're listening to you, but they are. And by way of extension, all of us who have people that we have influence over know that they hear what we say. They might not do it right away, but they hear it. And depending on how stubborn they are, they might not learn the easy way. It may take them the hard way. And for those of you that may have influence over children in the future, know that they will hear what you say as well. And the point to ponder is this for all of us, is what is that message our children will hear from us? And what will they remember? Our children have great memories. My youngest son, Jonathan, has an excellent memory, which is really scary, because he always remembers what I told him we were going to do. He never lets me live it down. You said we were going to go do this. And he is very precise. example, if I say it's, we're leaving at 6.30, and it's like, 6.32, he says, I'm late. I'm like around about, around 6. No, you, it's 6.32, it's, we, we're late, let's go. The point being, our children remember the things that we say, and the challenge for us as parents and those of us who have influence over people, what is it that they're hearing us say? And what is it that King Lemuel heard his mother say? Let's look at verse 2. Again, let's read. He says, what, oh my son... And what, O oh, son of my womb, and what, O oh, son of my vows? Now, probably his mom didn't speak this way, and he's writing it in a poetic fashion for his readers, but the point being, she, he's remembering the affection that his mother had for him. He knows his mom was affectionate towards him, and as our kids grow older, they're less and less likely to want that affection, right? Right? But he remembers, and your children will remember the affection that you showed towards them, even if they might not reciprocate it at the moment. They remember, and here the king is remembering that his mom spoke to him in such a dear way, is recognizing him as her son. Right? You're my son, you're the son of my womb, you're a part of me. And moms feel that obviously more than fathers, because the child came from her, out of her. They feel attached to the child, even before the child is born. And then you notice that she says, Oh, son of my vows. Maybe signifying that she prayed for this son. And I'm sure that all moms, before they have children and once they're pregnant, and I know for sure afterwards, they pray for their children. They pray for the child that they want. They pray for the child that is inside their body. And they may even dedicate the child to the Lord. I love when we do dedications of little children here. So he's saying, my mom vowed me to the Lord, promised that she would raise me in a certain way according to the Lord. And parents, I hope you realize this morning that your children are a gift from God. They're gifts. Sometimes it may be challenging. Sometimes it's easier But think of how God looks at us. Sometimes we are challenging to God. And sometimes we are easier in our relationship to God than than other times. Meaning in our obedience to Him where He doesn't have to chastise us. But I want us this morning to realize that children are a gift from God. Children aren't a choice. Let me just say that in our society right now. Who advocates the killing of the unborn. We are we have a gift from God when we have a child. God has given us children that have unique talents. God has given us children who have unique personalities, right? We can all understand. But even as children are little, you could see their distinct talents and their personalities. No two children are the same. The other thing for us to remember as parents is that God has given us children only for a short time. And soon they will be off and on their own. Right, some of us saying, "Well, I wish they would be off and on sooner," and some would wish that they would come back. Right? I know. I know. I've said this before. I think it still holds true. My mom, if I had to move in back to home, she would take me. I think (laughs) she might say yes right now, but she would take me and all my family if we needed to. Some parents would be like, "No, you're You need to figure it out." They would want to take them, but they're like, "No, it's too much." But the point being is they're just here for a short time. We have a short time with our children before they're off on their own. We no longer have that great of an influence on them. But let this be known is that we still have a responsibility, even once our children leave the home, to be an influence on them in a godly way, even though it may be lessened. It might not be as strong as when they were at home. And so again, King Lemuel is saying this. He recognizes the affection that his mom had for him. He recognizes that not only did she have affection for him, but that she also wanted him to do the right thing. She questioned him, provoked him to think for himself. Even in the writing, he says, what, oh, my son, in a a form of a question. Like, maybe, son, think about it. Son, what are you doing? Think about the impact that you will have on the world. He remembers her thought-provoking wisdom. And by virtue of his recollection of his mom's words, it demonstrates that he was listening. He remembers. He might not have followed her instructions at the beginning, but he's remembering it now. Right? She was challenging him to think about what course of action he would take in his life. And don't we all do that as parents? And, and even when we our parents were instructing us in our lives, to think about the things that you're doing. Think about how it will impact others. It's not just about you. There's more people around you. And King Lemuel needed to realize it well, as well. He is the king. He has a vast kingdom under him. He has subjects that are looking to him. And the decisions that he makes are going to affect his kingdom. And so again, I remind the parents, let this be an encouragement to us that our children... Listen, even when we think they're not. So keep instructing, keep advising, keep exhorting them, and when you have opportunity and it's the proper time, discipline them as well so that they will learn. So we move on. So what is the first instruction that she gives her son? We find it in verse 3. Do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys men kings what does this mean well this verse is talking about the mom said you know what king lemuel don't make your whole focus in life don't use all your talents and your resources and treasures to chase after women now she wants him to have a wife and one wife only but he's saying in the meantime don't just use all your free time all your resources all your talents and chasing after women don't give them your strength don't make your ways she says in the second half of verse three your ways to that which destroys kings she's talking about all the destructions of kings in the past who have used their influence and their gifts in very selfish ways and destructive ways because they have so much at their disposal they use it to go after women And we don't need to talk about the destruction of men or people in general who make their whole pursuit in life sexual pleasures. She's saying, don't waste it on that. Well, why not? Why shouldn't we? What does she tell us here? Well, again, he's the king. Don't make that his focus. Don't lead your kingdom with your carnal pleasures is what she's telling him. If that's all he does, he's wasting his time. He's not leading his kingdom properly. He will not live up to his calling. He will waste his time, and it will result in wasting all the gifts that the Lord has given him for his own personal pleasures. Another reason why is that he will not rule properly, right? His focus will be somewhere where it's not supposed to be. It will will be thinking about, how do I get the next woman? How do I fulfill my sexual pleasures instead of focusing on governing his kingdom? That will be all that he spends his time on. And that's not the proper way to rule a kingdom, she's telling him. That's not the way you were called to lead. Now, many believe that King Lemuel here is actually King Solomon. And if you know anything about King Solomon, he did not listen to this wisdom for such a long time. Matter of fact, He records this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So just the very next book in your Bible, look at chapter 2. King Solomon had all the money that he needed, all the power that he needed, and for a long time in his life, probably most of it, he wasted it. And he recounts that in the book of Ecclesiastes. And specifically in chapter 2 in relation to chasing after pleasure, sexual pleasures look at what he writes here he says i said to myself in chapter 2 of ecclesiastes come now i will test you with pleasure so enjoy yourself and behold it too was futility it was wasteful he says that was his summary of it drop down to verse 8 look what he says he says also he says i collected for myself silver and gold and treasures of kings and provinces I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men. And what are those pleasures of men? Many concubines, meaning many sexual partners. He did it all. He had all the money. He had anything that he wanted, and he didn't waste any expense even on seeking his own pleasure. And he says he had many concubines. Drop down to verses 10 and 11, and he he concludes this section by saying, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. So obviously he didn't listen to his mom's wisdom. He goes, I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. His reward was just having a happy heart. But he says this, Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exhorted. And behold, all this was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. He didn't profit anything. He had a good time, and in the end, it was useless, he said. It was like chasing after wind. You can't grasp it. And this was in relation to, in part, his sexual pleasures. As a matter of fact, in the, earlier in the book of Proverbs, if you look at chapter 7, the whole chapter is about the adulterous woman and a, a young man's pursuit after her. But it concludes here in this section that I want to read in verses 24 through 27. The end result of a man who was sexually lured astray by an adulterous woman. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 7. Again, let's look at particularly verses 24 through 27. It says, Now therefore, my son, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways, nor... Stray into her path, for many are the victims of her excuse me, so many for many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way of Sheol, descending to the chamber of death. He's saying that's the end result of a life that is just pursuing after carnal pleasures. The same thing Lemuel or Solomon's mother told him here in chapter thirty one of Proverbs. Don't do it, she's saying. Don't waste your time pursuing after women because in the end, you're going to find out that it was not worth it. It was not worth all of the power that you had, all the resources, all the gifting that God had given you. You wasted it away. And you didn't rule your kingdom properly. So that was her first bit of instruction to him that he's remembering. And I'm sure she gave him a lot more, but in this section, it's just recorded These two. The second one is is found in verse four. She says, or he says, remembering what she told him, it is is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or the rulers to desire strong drink. Basically, she's saying she didn't want him, not that she didn't want him to drink alcohol, but don't pursue it so much that you become a drunkard. You become devoted to it so much like you do with the women that you you live for alcohol, you live for drinking, you waste all your time and resources in doing that. Because again, the king had endless resources. He could have had all the wine from all over the world brought in and that was his main pursuit. She's saying, don't do that. That is not befitting of a king of your stature. Don't make that your pursuit in life. Well, why not? Look at verse five. She says why. For speaking of kings, they will drink and forget what they decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. So she's telling him real simply, you know what? You aren't going to rule properly because you're going to forget even what you said because you might have said it while you were drinking. And you're going to say things that are going to injure people in your kingdom. Not only that, you are going to pervert justice because you're going to be ruled by your carnal pleasures instead of being sober and aware of what's going on in your kingdom. Again, she didn't want him to waste his gifts, his time, and his talents in pursuit of alcohol when he is the king and that's not becoming of him. Again, he will just forget what he said and he will pervert justice. And King Solomon again reminds us of this in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 17, where he says this to the people. He says, blessed are you, a land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. He's saying, a land is blessed when their rulers aren't given to drunkenness and they drink and eat at the proper time for strength, not for pleasure. So he's saying, don't give yourself to these, she's saying, don't give yourself to these things either, my son, for it's wasteful. It's a waste of your life. And it's a waste of the gifts that God has given you and the people that you are leading are gonna suffer for it. So, what does she say? Instead, she says, you know what? Leave drinking for those people whose life is falling apart because they are the ones that need to forget about what's going on. Look at verses six through seven. She says, give a strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him, and drink, let him drink and forget his poverty And remember his troubles no more. Now, she's not advocating that you give, you know, people that are poor, just give them alcohol so they forget about it. No, she's just saying you need to be focused. Your mind needs to be alert and sober and not focus on carnal pleasures or just yourself. You know, you need to take care of people, you need to lead people, and you cannot do that if you're given too much wine and drunkenness. Now, these two things I want to say by way of just application for each and every one of us. Does that mean, well, if I'm not a king and I can give myself to drunkenness and chasing women, does that mean it's okay? No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, in chapter 13 of the Romans, so just in case you thought you were off the hook, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome, he says, let us behave properly as in the day. Not in carousing, drunkenness, nor in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, and not in strife and jealousy. So these things also aren't fitting for us, children of God. There's a proper place for these things, and it's not in making them your entire pursuit in life. That's not how we are to spend our life. So what does she want him to do instead? As we conclude looking at the last two verses of the text, it says this. Look at verse 8 back in Proverbs 31. So instead of wasting your time on these things, king, this is what you need to be doing. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth and judge righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. She wants her son to pursue what is fitting for a king and to spend his strength and time and his gifts to influence those who cannot speak for themselves and those who are under his rule. She wants him to speak and defend the needy, she says here, or the mute and those less fortunate. Since Solomon, the king, is so fortunate, he needs his job is to speak up for those who are not as fortunate Right? And this king has every ability to fulfill this task. And as a king, he's not to squander it away on himself, on his privileged position. Instead, he is to use his privileged position for the betterment of those who he is ruling. Maybe you can remember a time when your mom told you something similar. You know that God has given you gifts and talents to use not just for yourself, but for other people. Don't waste them on yourself and on foolish pursuits. And then lastly, she says, she wants him to judge righteously. Again, he's in a position to do just that. He's the king. He needs to intercede for those whom he serves and not just you know give himself special honors because he's the king or he's in a great position where he can give special favors to his friends and to his buddies. No, she's saying, you need to speak up for those who are less fortunate, those who are afflicted, and those who are needy. This is the proper role of somebody who's in leadership. Didn't Jesus himself say this in Luke chapter 22? Look at verses 25 through 26, when he's talking about that a leader is actually someone who serves others. Luke 22 verse 25 says this, And he said to them, he's speaking to his disciples, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. Speaking to his disciples. But this one who is greater among you, you must be the youngest and the leader like a servant. That's the proper role of a leader is to be a servant. And that's what King Solomon's mother is telling him, you need to be a servant to those who you are leading and not wasting, again, your time and your talents and your gifts all on yourself. And so that's the wisdom that King Lemuel or King Solomon recounts, that he learned from his mother. And so what can we learn from King Lemuel's mother as well? And I'm just going to have two points of application for each and every one of us this morning in conclusion. The first one might sound a little weird because your mom probably told you you're not God's gift to the world. You might think you are. You might act like you are. But in actuality, we are God. We, meaning the children of God, are God's gift to the world. And we're not God's gift to the world because we're so great. Let's get that off the table right away. It's not like, yeah, I'm God's gift to the world. No, we're God's gift to the world for a couple of reasons, because we have a great gift to give to the world. In Matthew 5, verses 13 through 14, that's where Jesus calls his disciples that they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Why? Because they're going to glorify God with all that they have. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, we are called God's ambassadors to the world. I want to turn there with you because that's a, I think that's just a really important verse for us to see. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Scripture says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed, and behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who has reconciled us through Christ Jesus and given us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God, look at this, in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We are God's gift to the world. We are representing God, right? As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you... On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to the world. See, we as believers have a great gift to give to the world. And it's not the gift of ourselves, it's the gift of God. So like King Lemuel, he had great gifts that he was to use to lead the world. We too have a great gift that we are called to lead the world back to God. That's why he calls us the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and we are God's ambassadors to this world. And so I just want to remind you as a believer that you have a great gift inside of you that you are to share with the rest of the world and not to waste it on ourselves. And it may not be that you're chasing women or you're, you're drinking, but there's other things that each and every one of us can think about that we might waste our time on. We need to put our lives in proper order God has given us a great gift, and we need to ask ourselves, are we using our lives to further that gift that God has given us? Secondly, we must use our gifts, which is part of this first point, to benefit others. Remember, King Lemuel's mother was saying, hey, you're a leader, and you need to use those gifts to lead properly, right? Speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Benefit those who need it. Do justice. And be merciful as well. So we too must use our gift to benefit others. And I'm going to just share three points here. Let's first turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Because the first point that I want to make here is found in this, is in this verse. It's to provide the gifts that you have. To provide for the spiritual needs of others. We can all do that. We can provide for the spiritual needs of others. A matter of fact, we're called to do that in the verse that I'm gonna read, it's actually First Peter. Sorry, First Peter 2 9. Sorry there. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So this is The Apostle Peter talking about the church. This is who you are. And each and every one of you, if you're a believer, this is who you are. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. For what purpose? He concludes by saying, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's the spiritual needs. Each and every one of us has that calling in our lives and we cannot shy away from it. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be a pastor of a church, you have to be out on a street corner, but each and every one of us has gifts that God has given us. And are we using them for the glory of God, or are we using them for ourselves and wasting them? We must use our gifts for the benefit of others in another way, to defend the defenseless. And James, 1, just turn a few books over to James chapter 1, looking at verse 27, James writes this, He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and and Father is this. So this is what true religion is. It's not just saying that you believe something, but there's also action in it. And it's this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Basically, it's a general statement about helping the defenseless or those who are in need. We need to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Again, this is what King Lemuel's mother was telling him. You need to speak for those that you are over that can't speak for themselves. That's your position, and it's our position as believers as well to do the same thing, to defend the defenses, or to provide for them as well, which is my next point. To provide for the need, excuse me, to provide for the physical needs of others. As Christians, we're called to do that as well. I think Jesus said this perfectly in Matthew 25. Of course he would. He's God. He would say it more perfect than I could, obviously. So let's read what he said in Matthew 25. Look at verses 34 through 40. He says this. A very familiar verse to us, I'm sure. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, You are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. So he's speaking of at the end of time when people stand before the great throne of judgment. And he says this to them, people that are entering into heaven. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink, I was a stranger and and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Jesus is saying, you need to take care of people. And we as Christians need to realize that it's not just about us. We cannot be selfish people. God has given each and every one of us great talents and treasures. Some of us have time. Some of us have different, various gifts, so we need to use those to provide for other people spiritually, speaking up for other people and providing for their needs in any way that we can, in any way that we feel God has called us to do. That is what pure and undefiled religion is. Our religion is not just a religion of words. It should be a religion of action. And let me close with this quote from a Puritan named William Perkins. And he wrote this, and this goes It goes perfect with King Lemuel's life and by extension ours. He says, speaking of people that don't take action, he abuseth his calling. You can tell it's old because it's the King James language, right? He abuseth, I didn't have a lisp, I'm reading a quote there. His calling, whosoever he be that, does what? Employs it for himself, seeking wholly his own and not the common good. And that common saying, which was around at their time, that every man for himself and God for us all is wicked. That point being that, hey, we all do our own thing and God will take care of everybody else, that should not come from the lips of the Christian. God uses us. That's why I said we are God's gift to the world because God wants to use us to make an impact and be influential in the lives of people around us. And for those of us that are parents, again, first for our children, And then for those within the church and those outside the church, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much.